We believe that the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Man, Jacob, that's awesome. So let's say that together like we do every single week. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. So from Genesis to Revelations, everything is pointing to the person of Jesus. And we're talking this morning about a guy by the name of Joshua. In just a moment, I'm gonna give you some parallels of Joshua's life from the Old Testament to Jesus in the New Testament. It's completely fascinating. So here's the flow of what we're gonna do. In just a moment, we're gonna read something from Numbers chapter 27 to help us kind of understand this life of Joshua. Joshua is a big character, and so um, I'm pretty confident that today I'm going to help you understand his life right here at the beginning. So we're going to talk about Joshua. We're going to lay some foundations of some things that we need to know. Then I'm going to show you the parallels between Joshua and Jesus to help you understand, again, our big theme. The Bible always points to Jesus no matter what. Then after that, we're going to go to one story. Everyone say one story. We're going to go to one story and pull one major truth out that will help us here today. Here's something that we say very often. The Bible cannot mean today what it didn't mean back then. What it meant back then, it means today. So whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's always something that's going to apply to us today as believers and as Christians. And so it's my goal and it's my aim every single week, even though I'm going to give you some cultural background, some history on it, is to bring it back to your level. And you ask the question as a believer, what am I supposed to do with the content that was shared today? How am I supposed to walk this out to where it gets me closer to Jesus and gives me a life that is full of purpose and destiny? Amen? So that's the goal. Okay, so Numbers chapter 27, verse 12 says this. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into this Mount Abram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, watch here, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. He's speaking to Moses here. And these are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Verse 17, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without no shepherd. I love that word shepherd right there. It's so good. Verse 18, and the Lord said to Moses, watch here, take Joshua. Everyone say Joshua. Joshua. Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him, set him before Eleazar, the, the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give, watch here, some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar, the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him to be judgment of the Urim. I love this part. At his word, the word of who? The word of Joshua. At his word, they shall go out. Notice the setting up of leadership here. They shall go out, and at his word, they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him, and he inaugurated him just as the Lord had commandment. All right, let's pray. Father, help 
in Jesus' name, and Uriah said, amen. All right, so real quick, let's understand the life of Joshua because every single week we're going through the Bible, we're gonna hit these key figures in the Bible, so I think it's worth noting his life, okay? We have to know that Joshua was a major, major figure in the Exodus from Egypt. If you go back to our story, Joshua played a huge part in that. He's a very key figure, okay? We know that Joshua was also the one who commanded the militia for the first battle after they left Egypt, and they were victorious, okay? So right there we know his chain of command is very powerful. They're very good. He's also the one who accompanied Moses up and down Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, which we talked about that. He's identified as one of the 12 spies. There were 12 tribes, and each tribe got one person to go out and spy the land upon Moses saying, look, we're gonna go to Canaan. I want you to spy it out. That's gonna be the story that we talk about today. We know according to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter one, verses one through nine, that God appointed Joshua to succeed Moses as the leader of the Israelites. So he's gonna be the next guy after Moses. And along with giving him a blessing of invincibility during this lifetime, I'm gonna show you a scripture in a minute. When Joshua takes the lead, he literally succeeds at absolutely everything. It's fascinating. I'm gonna show you a scripture to show that. We know the key story. Remember the story in the Bible where a man in the Bible commanded the sun to stop. That was Joshua, no small task. And we know from, the, from uh, validating the Bible that that key event right there, especially according to science, shows us a lot about the validity of the Bible because of the sun stopping for a full day. And they did so so that they can fight the battle and win. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating read. We know that he has victories with his armies over Jericho, over A, other places to secure the land of Canaan. And then we know at the age of 110, everybody say, that's old. That's really old. At the age of 110, we know that Joshua dies. Now, I want to show you a scripture that shows you just how effective, how powerful, and how God-ordained this leader was. Now remember, Moses was the leader before. Did we know that Moses blew it? Mo, Mo, because of Moses' um, actions, he didn't get the promise of going into the promised land. He failed short there, and he took responsibility for that. Joshua comes on the scene, and we see this in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. I want you to read it with me. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnasera. You guys should be very proud that I can pronounce these, by the way. Which is the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of the Mount of Gash. Now, I want to just encourage you, if you have a Bible that has a map in the back, this is really cool stuff right here when you're reading it, just to flip over to those maps and see the pinpoints of all this stuff. Like we talked about last week, they, they roamed in the wilderness for 40 years and went 200 miles out of their way to get to the promised land. And so when you see that on a map and you see all the places that they had to track and go, you really begin to understand the depth of the story. And we, we joked about this last week. Imagine taking your kids to Disneyland, but telling them, hey, we're going to go 200 miles outside of our way. How's that car ride going to go for you? Probably not too good. Now imagine walking 200 miles. Okay, so that's why it's fascinating stuff right here when you see this. But it's verse 31 that just shows how powerful Joshua was. It says, Israel... The children of Israel, the nation of Israel. This isn't referring to just a person. Israel served the Lord some of the days. 
all. We, we said this in week number one and two of this series. Every single word in the Bible is important. So again, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. All the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done. So let's just put this in, in context here. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. We know that they were 40 years in the wilderness. We know through the history of walking through the Bible like we have for the past eight weeks that they consistently rebelled against God, consistently did what they should not have done over and over and over. It was a cycle of sin, of complaining and murmuring and rebelling and, 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 and building idols and doing all of this stuff. But yet it says when Joshua was in command, they all served God. Understand just how powerful this man of God was to lead a bunch of people who do nothing but slavery and nothing but rebellion that he was able to bring them all in and to get them pointed in the right direction of serving God. Joshua is a fascinating guy. I mean, just, it's unbelievable. So I want to encourage you, man, you can go all the way back to Exodus and read all the way through the book of Joshua and pull so many truths from the life of Joshua out that would help you in your day-to-day -day like you would never believe. As a, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a husband, a wife, a friend, a colleague, a, a business owner, an employee, an employer, you can go to the life of Joshua and see things that will radically, radically change your life and set you apart. Amen? Because that's what we're all called to be. So I'm telling you, man, th this guy was an amazing guy. Now think about this. Think about the parallels of Joshua. Let me just read this to you real quick. When it comes to the name of Joshua, Joshua's name is actually the same name as Jesus. Pronounced Yeshua or Yeshua for short, it means the Lord saves. That's what Joshua's name means, the Lord saves. Now the name of Jesus' name in the Greek form of the name Yeshua, like Joshua, Jesus leads his people into salvation, yet in a greater sense of eternal life. When it comes to prophecy, prophecy is a big deal. Joshua was God's prophetic leader who stepped into Moses' shoes. We see that in the book of Joshua. Jesus fulfilled Moses' prophecy when he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Powerful stuff. Think about water for a moment. Joshua parted the Jordan River so that the Israel could cross over. We see that. Jesus walked on water and called others to come over to him. Think of the promised land. Joshua led God's people into the promised land, the inheritance that God had promised to Abraham. Jesus, though, leads God's people, that's you and I, into the promised land, which is his inheritance, a place that we're gonna go when this life is said and done. That's why I don't get down when the world goes crazy. It's supposed to go crazy. But there's coming a day when we get, when we get to heaven and we, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and we see this four square city like there's nothing that we can even comprehend. This world's not our home. That's why you can't let the world get you down. Think about war. Joshua's army pulled down earthly strongholds. Jesus' army pulls down spiritual strongholds. Think about the armor. Joshua's army was arrayed in earthly armor. Jesus' army is arrayed in spiritual armor. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. These parallels are crazy to me. Servanthood. Joshua declared himself as God's servant. Jesus described himself as a servant. That's what he said. He said, I didn't come for you to serve me. I, I came to, to serve you. I love this one, rest. Joshua led God's people to the rest in the promised land. Man, when this story unfolds, think of what these people would have experienced when they finally get to the place of promise. Yeah. 
and they could just simply rest. Oh, man. Jesus' followers, they're led into rest in this new creation. We find a rest that no one else can find. What a legacy, this Joshua guy. What a comparison. So here's what I want to do. There's some cultural background. There's some history. There's some parallels. Now I want to bring it to you and I. My, my goal and my aim as I studied for this and as I felt the Holy Spirit lead me was to get you to a place and all of us to a place where either one, we are reminded of a spiritual truth that is so important to all of us, or secondly, if maybe we're not of the faith or maybe we're just checking this thing out, that there is something that can literally lead your life in a way that nothing else can. And so we're gonna go to this story and we're gonna go back, okay? We're gonna go back to the story of the 12 spies. It's a familiar story. It's a story that a lot of us would have read a few weeks ago as we're going through our Read Scripture app. But let me give you some background real quick. Okay, now we're moving backward. So Moses obviously has led the children of Israel out of slavery and in bondage to Egypt. They've crossed over the Red Sea they're traveling in the wilderness for about two years now. Two years in that time, we know that God has given them the law. We see that the Ten Commandments begin to come. And then after we read the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus chapter 20, we start to see all these other different chapters of a law and a law and a law and a law. And I mean, I don't know if you read through those, but man, it is amazing what some of those laws are. And I am so glad that Jesus came and simplified everything for us. But we know we get the Ten Commandments and we get all this, diff this different stuff going on. So they come up to a place called Kadesh Barnea and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. The Jordan is literally separated. We literally drove by. We were, in, we were in Israel a year and a half ago. Literally drove right by where they say the Jordan River was and it still is there, but where they would have crossed over. It was a fascinating thing to see. So they're getting ready to do that. It's a promise that they have carried for 400 years. Now, has anybody ever given you a promise before that you banked on? And you get really excited about them fulfilling that promise? How do you feel when a week goes by? Ah, should I text them? Should I call them? Nah, nah, they probably got a lot going on. Two weeks go by. Man, they must really have a lot of things going on. Three weeks go by, have they forgotten about me? Fourth week goes by, how can I strategically send a text message to them, not necessarily calling out the promise that they said, but somehow kind of leading and guiding them to this promise? Five weeks, six weeks, year goes by. How many of you guys know? Probably not gonna happen. 400 years, imagine that. Generations have literally come and gone, but they got this promise. 400 years. They're going to have their own country. So now they're getting there. So what does Moses do? Moses gets 12 spies. and says, here's the deal. We're getting close. It's time to get ready. So he gets one from each tribe. He sends them out. So we know that 12 go. Two come back. The other 10 come back. But we've got different encounters of the story. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb, who was with Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, the only two spies that saw this the right way, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Sounds like a great report. Problem, 10 other guys, Numbers 13, 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, watch here, for they are stronger than we are. 
So I read these two passages of scripture and I see that it only really leaves me with really two perspectives of looking at this story, but specifically looking at these two different responses. I believe when we look at this, we see two perspectives. We see a natural perspective and we see a spiritual perspective. So breaking this down for you and I, we see a natural perspective of what these 10 guys saw with their eyes and it led to one word called fear. Their natural eyes saw they're bigger, they're stronger, they're giant, they have fortified walls, there's no way we can do this, and immediately the sense of fear and we can't do it despite God saying you will do it. So they disvalue what God says and they say no way. That's the perspective of the natural, which is fear. Then there's the perspective of spiritual eyes. This is what Caleb and Joshua had. So therefore, they were able to see something that wasn't quite done yet, but they saw it with the perspective of faith. So when you look at things in the natural, let's bring it to our lives. In the natural, when things are stacking up, when pressure's coming in, when bills keep coming, when relationships keep doing this, and we look at it in in the natural, fear comes, doubt comes, joy goes, we see it that way. But when we see things the correct way, we can believe for something even in the midst of not seeing it at the moment. That's what faith is all about. Okay, so let me answer this question with just two points. What happens when we only see life and things through the natural lens in the natural? What happens? First is this. We make things a big deal that really aren't. That's the first thing that happens. When we see things in the natural without considering God, his word, his ways, we begin to see things that, man, this is a really big issue. Now, this is amazing. Think about this. God had already miraculously delivered them from Pharaoh and from Egypt. It was a whole nation, but yet a local tribe, smaller in numbers, had them in fear. Reminds me of the story of the disciples after Jesus fed tens of thousands of people, sent the 12 disciples into the boat to go to the other side, and the storm came, and it freaked them all out. Don't you think you would just remember that Jesus just did something really cool and can probably do anything? Immediately they forgot. That's, that's what's going on here. They're, they're, they're letting this small group of people in Canaan give them fear. And they're taking a problem and they're elevating it and they're making it bigger. How many of you know, when you're looking at things in the natural, the problems and the challenges always get bigger. And the longer you look at it, the bigger it gets. I'm having trouble hearing you. (laughs) I said the longer you look at it, the, (laughs) the bigger it gets. Okay, so funny story, funny story. Some of you, some of you know, that was, you can't make that up right there. I, you guys probably didn't experience that on the broadcast, but it was really good. Siri's trying to come up against God and not put her in her place. Um, I, I remember if we go back a year, that was good. If we go back a year, some of you will remember this. I was guilty of making a small problem really, really big. A little over a year ago when this pandemic hit, things began to happen and we eventually got the opportunity to... Um, to bless our city with, with produce and with the, the USDA partnering with CityServe. It was an amazing thing. Over 500,000 pounds 
of food and dairy and cheeses and meats throughout that collective time, every single Tuesday morning, cars would stream through this parking lot. And we, we joked about it, but man, we were backing up traffic all the way up there on Santa Rosa and Foothills. And it was such an amazing deal. And many of you guys remember this story but you don't know what I was dealing with behind the scenes. I had taken a very small thing and made it a really, really big deal. So to pull this off within like a matter of a week and a half, we had to raise about $13,000 to get a forklift because you had to have a forklift, you needed a pallet jack, and of course you needed volunteers and leaders and, and all of this stuff. And I cannot begin to describe to you how much fear I had because when I said yes to them, it put us in a situation where, well, God produced it now. Like, it's got to happen. There's, there's a semi-truck coming with pallets. And I lost sleep. I was anxious. <laughs> Vanessa in the front, he did. Um, I lost sleep. I was anxious. I was nervous. I was on edge. But yet when I got up here, y'all didn't know it. Man, I was faking it like you would not believe I was battling, and man, I was so much, I mean, I would go to bed at night, and literally as I laid there in bed, it, it wasn't even that it was a problem, but it was a challenge, and I got myself so riled up over this deal that I had convinced myself this was not going to happen. I was gonna let you down. I was gonna let our city down. I was gonna let down Pastor Wendell and City Serve, and man, I was just, I was, I, I couldn't, and what, what happened? This little small thing, but by the way, completely forgetting 20 plus years of history with God, where God always came through and always delivered, and I've seen it and I've known it, and this one little challenge comes up, and I'm just like, I'm not, I am the wrong guy for this. I'm, I'm done. And I kid you not, I kid you not, some of you were a part of this. I got up one Sunday, because I was so hesitant to do this, and I said, here's, here's the deal. This is where we are. This is what we need. Not even 24 hours went by fully covered, just like that. Many of you guys were the answer to that prayer because you allowed God to move through you in the form of generosity. And 500,000 pounds later, we served our community the best that we could as a church. But what did I do? I took a very, very small challenge slash problem, and I elevated it. You ever done that before? We all have. What's the problem? We're looking at things in the natural. We're not called to look at things in the natural. We're called to look with the eyes of faith. Look at how these spies did the same thing. Numbers 13. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit, big old grapes. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified. They're very large. Now watch here. And moreover, we, what's that next word? We saw. We, 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 we saw them. And they were the descendants of Anak there. Moving on to verse 31. But the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land, watch here, that devours its inhabitants. Exaggeration. And all the people who we saw are men of great stature. There we saw 
the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You ever exaggerated before? You ever had your kids exaggerate before? Like they're trying to describe something that goes on, and you're just like, stop exaggerating. Same thing happens. Listen, it's all about perspective. And what you see is perspective. You guys know this to be true. If you want to find the negative, guess what you'll find? The negative. If you want to find the positive, guess what you'll find? It's all in what you're looking for. It's all in what you're looking at. And when you look in the natural, you make things a big deal that really aren't. The second thing is we lose hope. Man, when we look at this stuff in the natural, we lose hope. Look at the words now. Now we're in the book of Numbers 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And the children of Israel, they complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if, oh, big statement, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. What? Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? What? We've been journeying in this story together. 400 years of slavery. Remember when Pharaoh got mad and made it actually harder for them? And they were like, ah, get us out, get us out, get us out. So they get removed, and in two years they're saying, take us back, take us back, take us back. It's like, it's like they were saying, well, at least it was predictable. We were slaves, but at least we were safe. We didn't have to take risks. We didn't have all these problems to deal with. Do you hear the words coming from them? I mean, no question about it. You can mark this down. Following God will often require you to step out of your comfort zone, hands down. And that's what they were afraid of. They would rather go back to being comfortable as slaves to Egypt than trust the process that God was leading them through. To the promised land. To the place of, of real rest. Listen, if, if history has proven anything, it's proven that there is no real freedom without taking some risks. Listen, we're called as believers of Jesus to be people who see things from God's perspective, to trust God to open our spiritual eyes, to follow his leading and his guiding, to sometimes take steps that are sometimes uncomfortable and listen to me very carefully. As God's people, we are called to refuse to bow down to the false gods of this culture. And to understand that we are to be set apart as, as God's people. But that will never happen. That will never happen, guys, if we see things in the natural. As believers, we got to see things through the eyes of, of faith. So let's, let's close our time with this. Let's close our time with what happens when God opens our eyes to see things with the eyes of faith? I love this first one. You might too. But number one is our problems get smaller. They get smaller. Listen to me. I wish I could always say they always go away, but sometimes they really don't. You, you've heard me often say that there are things in our life that you can't get rid of, but they're a tension to manage. In other words, the tension's always going to be there. You've got to manage it. You know what I mean by that? It's the family member that you wish was, now don't look at me wrong when I say this, but 
It's the family member you wish that didn't show up to things. They're your family. They're going to be there. So what do you, you guys laughed way too much on that one. So what do you got to do? You got to manage that tension. Is your marriage struggling? Guess what? As believers, you don't, you don't get to walk away. So what do you got to do? You got to manage that tension. Are your kids wandering from the things of God? You can't just give up on your kids. What do you got to do? You got to manage the tension. I'm, I'm saying that when you see through the eyes of faith, those problems, they, 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 get, they get smaller. Because you begin to see in the spirit what you can't see in the natural. You begin to see from God's perspective. You know what else happens too is you begin to see the, the bigness of our God. I love this. I don't know where I found it, but it's simple and good. But listen, if you have a big God, problems get small. If you have a small God, problems get big. It's all in you saying, God, I give it to you. God, your ways are the ways that are going to fix this thing because God in the natural, I can't fix this. But God, you're big enough and you're good enough and your word is true. And if that's the case, and it is, my problems now become small. And you know what else happens too? You begin to have hope and joy. It begins to, yeah, everything's bad around me, but in here's not. Are you seeing the difference there? I know I've said this time and time again. I might sound like a broken record. It's fine. It's what pastors do. The world could be falling apart around you, and you could have a joy that just confounds other people. That's what we're supposed to have, but only if we see through the lens of faith. God asked Abraham this question. I love this. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for God? So friend, I love you, but why do you believe your problem is bigger than God? Why do you think your kid will never be saved? Why do you think your finances will never change? Why, why, why do you think that you'll never find purpose? Why do you think you'll be stuck with this feeling of emptiness? If you believe in that, you've made God way too small. And that's not God. He's way too big. He's beyond your comprehension. He is that good. So we got to watch that. So our problems get smaller. Number two, when we see through the lens of faith, we begin to walk in God's favor and his boldness. Listen to me. When you study the Bible, you quickly learn this principle. Every time God moves in the earth and does something miraculous, it's because someone believed and they were bold enough to believe it. John the Baptist is in the wilderness looking like a crazy man, but he was bold enough to believe that his role in introducing the soon coming Messiah was his responsibility and call of God. And he was bold enough to make it happen. Did Peter blow it? Yep. But eventually he got bold enough to walk down those southern steps in the book of Acts and confess Christ in front of 3,000 people to see them all get saved and baptized and the birth of the church to happen. He was bold enough to use his life in a way that cost him his life. And we can go all throughout the beginnings of the early church and see those that said, look, here's the deal. God's big. He's got a call on my life. I'm going to walk in the favor and the boldness of God. And friends, you and I could do the same. We can be bold. 
We can declare things in faith. Listen, I could promise you that if you allow the enemy of your soul to keep you in a place of believing it's never going to change, it's never going to get better, it's too far gone, that that will be a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life. I'm not trying to be fake, but I'm just saying you speak things into existence. If Jesus, I mean, if God formed the world with his, his words, we've, we've said this, he, he spoke the world. And friends, you speak your world. So you start to declare good things over your life. I could go a lot of ways on that one, but let me just summarize it right here. Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, let it be to you. You missing something in your life? It's according to your faith. Man, put your faith in God. All right. Number one, our problems get smaller. Number two, we walk in God's favor and boldness. Man, I love this. Number three, in tough times, we're strong and not weak. When we begin to see through the lens of faith, we're strong in tough times. No question about it. Challenging times we live in, yes? Man, I think we'd all agree. But faith that God gives us, it makes us resilient. Look at these words in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You know what I see in there? It shows me that as believers, there are going to be times when life is trying to crush us. Doesn't excuse us from feeling what we feel. But we're not victims. Listen, if you got a victim mentality, you, you get rid of your victim mentality. I've had to speak that into my life time and time again. I'm not a victim. You're a victim when you allow yourself to be one. When Jesus Christ comes in and he saves your life and sets you apart, the victory of that cross becomes you and you are not a victim anymore. So stop living that way. Ah, oh, life's always coming after me. It comes after everyone. You're not singled out. I say this lovingly. No, life is not fair. As my youth pastor would always say, though, it also doesn't wait on the wounded. So take that for what it's worth. Thanks, Pastor Joe. You got to have resiliency. I want you just to stand to your feet as we close. I really believe in my heart of hearts that God is really showing us through his words that we have two ways of looking at life and looking at everything. And either one, we're going to look at it in the natural and we're going to walk in fear and no sense of purpose and no hope and no joy. Or we're going to begin to look at life through the eyes of faith. Faith that moves mountains, by the way. I, I challenge you, man, go back this week. Go to your concordance. Go to Google. Type in the word faith and look at all the things that Jesus had to say about faith. He said, you can speak unto this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, and it will. Now, if you're young in the faith, you're like, so you mean to tell me I could tell Bishop's Peak to just go, and then. <laughs> big, yes. Problems big. Pray, problem small. 
That's what he's saying. I'm telling you, we got to start viewing everything through the lens of the spiritual and not the natural. Let me give you some examples. We need to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Spiritualize with love and compassion and care. We need to serve others the way that Jesus would have served them. You know the person that annoys you the most? Think of them right now. Don't say their name out loud. Just think of them. Think of them right now. And the next time they annoy you, I know this is just an illustration. Imagine Jesus is right here. And I want you to ask yourself, how would Jesus respond right now to that person? All of us just got humbled real quick, didn't we? You know that person that isn't quite as quote-unquote popular or as well-known or talked to that you sometimes just brush by and don't give the time of day, but you give it to the person over here who's got some status? I want you to think of what Jesus would think in that moment right there and ask yourself if that's how you should be responding. Now, don't beat yourself up. Condemnation's not of God, but I just want to spit some truth at you, y'all. Why do I do that? Why do I do that? Y'all, youth pastor's still coming out. You got to see people the way Jesus sees them. You know what else you got to do is we got to roll up our sleeves, all of us, and we got to serve those in our church and in our community. We got to get active. This is only an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and 30, depending on how long I talk and make him play with his fingers falling off because I talk way too long when he gets up here. That's it. Okay, so what about the other 167 hours in the week? What are you doing to serve your community and your church? What are you doing? Because we're all called to serve. We need to give God the first of everything. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. We got to read and apply his word and memorize it to heart. We need to bring people to church. We need to commit to being in church. I got plans this week. I'll go to church. No, we go to church. It's not a popular message for a pastor to preach anymore. I'll tell you right now, I get more emails off of challenging people to be in church than almost anything else because church has become the thing to do when I have nothing else to do. We need to believe God for miracles, signs, wonders. We need to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And if we have to, empty ourselves at all costs to make sure that they know the Lord. Children are a gift from God. I'd rather be busy helping my children know Jesus than be tired, than be tired from just going through life. Oh man, we need to worship with abandonment. You know what's so awesome about today? Did you guys know you sing really good? I don't know what you sound like online. Couldn't tell you. Hopefully good. But man, I, I, I pulled my headset off at the end of that worship set. Oh man, it was so good to hear. To see you lift your hands and not care about how you sound with the person to the left or to the right or in front. I know why some of you sit in the back. It's so you can sing with everything you got. No one else can hear. That's okay. I know. But man, it sounded so good to just hear you worship with abandonment. You need to do the same thing tomorrow and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. You need to worship. 
We need to see in the spirit. And we've got to take our eyes off this world in the natural. Amen.